a, a few weeks ago, I've, I've found myself in a little bit of just an internal the pickle. You ever get in internal pickles where you, you're trying to figure out the right thing to do and you're just not sure, and so you kind of go back and forth with yourself and trying to figure out what to, what to do next. And so um, I, here's the scenario. I, I, had, I had done something for my wife that she needed done um, that she probably wasn't going to do herself. Um, and, and then she, she wasn't around. So I, the, the windows, notice the windows on her car uh, were really dirty. And so I cleaned them. Now, there's a, <laughs> it's a joke in my family. And it's not, it would be a lot more, it would be a funny joke. It's an ironic joke. You know those? It, it would be funny if it weren't true but it's true, and so it's funny, but it's painful. Um, a- Andrea it, it just is not very observant. She just doesn't catch things all the, all the time with, when they first, it's, it's okay, it's okay. Like, um, I, and and I, she told me it's okay if I gave you an example. Uh, I recently tore the ceiling out of the master bathroom because there was a leak somewhere up, up the stairs. So I tore the ceiling out of the master bathroom. And while I did that, I decided um, the floors needed to be redone in the, in the master. It's not very big. And so the floors need to be redone. So I tore the ceiling out and I put in new floors. Uh, Tristan, our daughter, was over at the house um, oh, that weekend while I had done that job. Andrea, I think, was at a women's retreat. And she comes home, and so I, I go to Tristan, and I said, hey, uh, what do you think mom will see first? The fact that there's no ceiling in the bathroom, which is kind of a big deal, uh, <laughs> or, or that there's the new floors uh, in the bathroom. What do you, th- what do you think sh- she'll see first? And Tristan said, oh, she'll notice the ceiling first. And I said, because I've lived with her for almost 32 years, I said, I don't think she'll notice either of them. <laughs> she can't, I, I'll tell you, she noticed the floor on her second trip to the bathroom. And uh, she's like, oh, you did the floor. And I said, honey, look up. And she's like, oh my goodness. I, I, it was something about she's so close to the floor anyway. It's just hard to look up. I don't know. Anyway, you get the idea. She just, she just misses some things. She's, you know, she's doing things. She's thinking about things. She just misses some things. So, so here I am. I, I, I clean the windows of her car. She did not expect that. She did not ask me to do that. I just noticed they were dirty. And so I took care of it. And then this internal struggle began because she is not observant. And if you are a guy, you know how important credit is in your relationship. And so I'm sitting down in, in the basement now. Andrea's back. She's working on some Trent stuff. And, and I'm sitting there. with got the TV on. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, processing this. Okay, if I tell her, then I get credit for that. If I don't tell her, she will never know that I did this, will never notice, I will never get credit, and, and then, so you can see the difficulty I was having. Do I tell her and get credit? Do I not tell her and not get credit? This is a, this is a big deal. And so I ask myself, I get this, like thinking about this, I get down to this question. Corey, 
Did you clean her windows because you love her and you noticed her windows were dirty and so you cleaned them for her? Or did you clean her windows because you wanted recognition and credit for cleaning her windows? <laughs> so then I don't have to keep wrestling with this. All right, well, if I did it for her benefit, it doesn't matter if she knows or not, right? And if I just did it to, because I love her and I wanted to help her, doesn't matter whether I get uh, credit. If I did it to get the credit, then my act of service wasn't done because I love her. My act of service to her was done because I want her to love me. And so you see how this began to change here in, in my heart and my mind as I'm processing all this. Okay, what's going on? Uh, so apply this to your um, relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your, um, with your friends, this, this question. Am I doing this because I love or because I want to be loved? And, and I think a lot of times our relationships, whether that's spouse or kids or family or coworkers or, or whatever, there's a, there's a lot of acts of service, of, of love things that we do, but we don't necessarily do them because we love the other person. We're doing them because we want the other person to love us, and that's an entirely different conversation. Those two things are not, not the same at all. So we're caught in this um, struggle. Now, we're in a series about um, money. So let's apply this thought to our giving. Am I giving financially to God because I love God and his church? Or do I give because I want God to notice and love me? Again, that kind of changes what, what, when we talk about giving to God, it kind of changes the way that that happens. And so if I give so that God will notice me and, and bless me, so if I give whatever, service, money, whatever, if I give it to God so that he will notice and bless me, then I'm not actually giving to God. I'm giving in an attempt to manipulate God in order to get what I want. And, and in the church, in case you weren't aware of this, in the church we call that blessing. When God does something for me and, and I get a benefit from it and I like it and I enjoy it, I call that, or we call that a, a blessing. And so when I give to God, am I giving because God, I love you and you've given to me and I appreciate that and I'm giving back to you some of what you've given to me because I love you or am I giving to say, hey God, uh, notice me, look at me, bless me, care for me, meet all my needs, take care of things. And, and while it's actually impossible to use money to manipulate God, um, money does have the ability to manipulate others as well as ourselves. And we use money for that purpose all, all the time. Um, if you're good, while we're in the store, I'll buy you something. <laughs> we, do, we do that with Trent still. <laughs> Look, if you're, if you're good, if you, if you act happy and you don't get upset while we're in here, um, we'll get you a coloring book or something on the way, on the way out. Uh, uh, we say to our children, I, well, we didn't say this to our children, but maybe you do. Uh, I'll give you $5 for every A that you get on your report card. And even when we give generously to organizations that we care about, there are often perks that come with our, with our gift. Right? So even when we're giving to things that we're passionate about or we, or we care about, there are often things that come back to us. So if, you, um, if you give to, to PBS, 
they'll send you a, a bag or some, some sort. I don't know, I've heard that on TV, that they will do that. Uh, if you give to a hospital, they might put your name up on the, on the front of it. Uh, or if you give to a project at your kid's school, they might put your name on a plaque on the wall or on a brick uh, on the ground. And so we're in this place in society where even when we give generously to, to things we're passionate about and nonprofits, there are often kind of kickbacks that we get for that. And this idea, this process has infiltrated every aspect of our giving, including when we give to the church. Um, if you walk through many churches today, especially churches that have been um, in existence for a, a, a while, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years, if you walk through the building, if you pay attention, you will probably see uh, little brass uh, plaques on all kinds of different things. Uh, I've seen in church uh, those little plaques on uh, co commu big communion tables. I've seen them on uh, podiums. I've seen them on uh, candle holders, uh, on a whole bunch of things. Pictures out in the lobby, there'll be a little brass tag on it, and it will say something about who gave the money for that particular, particular thing. Now, in, in church, I don't, don't know if you're aware of this because um, you come to real life, but if there's a plaque on something in a church, uh, it means you can never touch or get rid of that thing ever. It has to stay there because somebody's great, 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 great grandma gave the money to buy that thing. And if you take it, if you move it out, if something changes, then you're, you're going to be um, in, in trouble. The reality in our culture today is that more money is often given when greater recognition is gotten, right? We, we give and, and then we expect there to be some recognition somehow. And, and we might be motivated more to give if the recognition is, is greater. And so then there's this twist here. We can use money to manipulate others, to change votes, to exert influence. But while we're using money to manipulate others, money is manipulating us and our hearts at the same, at the same time. And so it twists our hearts so that we don't recognize it when greed masquerades as, as generosity. And, and this happens. This happens when we give because we want to be loved instead of giving because we love. And so we can give in a way that seems generous, but it's really just our own greed masquerading as generosity. And that, that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with when he addresses the way some people give in Matthew 6. So let's just jump to Matthew 6, verse 1. Here's what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So check this out. Jesus is not saying in this text that it's wrong to, to give. 
or that there's anything wrong with giving financially to other people. The, the righteousness, the righteousness that he refers to, practicing this righteousness, uh, is acts commanded or encouraged by God to help those who are less fortunate than you. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Beware of practicing these acts of righteousness, which in Jesus' day was often called almsgiving. And, and, and what it was, an opportunity for you to give a portion of what you had to people who were less fortunate than, than you. Um, and there's a whole big process in the Old Testament to care for people who were needy, who were having a rough time, uh, who were really struggling. In fact, a huge part of the seventh year debt canceling that we talked about last week when we kicked off the series, um, Deuteronomy 15, we talked about that. A huge part of that was just about being generous to people who were in difficult situations, so struggling in difficult situations. So... Um, being willing to help others when you have the ability. That's what Jesus is talking about by the acts of righteousness or practicing your righteousness, helping those people who are having a difficult time. There's a lady named Anna Case Winters, and she wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. And she says this, almsgiving was a kind of voluntary redistribution of, of resources. People who had resources, giving those to help people who didn't have resources. She said it was consonant with the religious heritage of Judaism in which the Sabbath days and Sabbath years, that's the seventh year where debts are canceled, protected the poor and the land from overworking or unrelieved exploitation. So God had this whole process set up in the Sabbath, in almsgiving, in the Sabbath years, where people were cared for. And it was built into their society. Jesus is pointing out that giving to the needy is about helping them, not honoring yourself. As this is what he's really saying in the in the passage, be careful that you don't practice your acts of righteousness in giving to the poor and the needy in front of other people where, where you're going to be um, honoring yourself instead of really just trying to help them. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with giving, but there is something wrong with giving for the purpose of getting noticed. I'm going to give to support something, um, but I want to get recognition from that. I want people to notice me. I want them to see uh, how much money I have, how much money I'm able to give away. I, I want the applause. I want the attention and the affection of other people. And so I, I want to give this gift so that I am noticed. And so when you give with the intention of getting noticed, Jesus says your, your, your motive isn't generosity, it's, it's greed. And it may not be financial greed. It, it might just be um, emotional greed. It might just be um, that, that I want people to like me. And so I'm greedy about those relationships. And, and just in case you were wondering, God doesn't typically reward greed. And so sometimes we're caught up in this situation where greed masquerades itself as generosity and then we wonder why God isn't blessing us and God's like, because you're not really giving, you're just trying to get. This is why motives are so important. If your motive is greed, Jesus says, look, whatever recognition you get from other people, then that's all the recognition you're gonna get. 
So how do we practice righteousness or give in such a way that we're not feeding our own greed, but we're actually giving to God? How do we kind of twist that around so that our greed isn't masquerading as generosity, we're actually being generous? Well, Jesus actually talks about that in the second verse. Here's what he says. When you give to the needy, don't blow a trumpet before you. The hypocrites do that in the synagogues and in the streets, and they do that so that they'll be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received already their reward. And so if you're going to give, don't seek attention. Now, we're about to see the red kettles come out in front of our our favorite um, shopping spots. That's going to happen very soon as we head towards Christmas at the end of the year. Imagine that you're um, coming up into Walmart and you're getting out of your car and you're getting ready to to walk in and uh, a limo pulls up. You would take notice if a limo pulled up in Walmart, right? Uh, like, what's going on? This is not, this is not, is Kanye here or something? I don't know uh, what's going on, but this is odd to see a limo at, at Walmart. And so a limo pulls up and, and it gets in, an entourage gets out of the car and then like somebody's got music playing and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of just, just hubbub happening and somebody's in the middle and I don't know who it is and what's going on. And they make this big deal and they walk up to the kettle and they, and they, and they put money in the red kettle and everybody's excited and everybody's come out of the store to see who's here and who's, who's giving. That to, that to me, I'm like, well, I'd like to know who it is, but that's kind of a turnoff, right? When people draw attention to themselves in order to give, their charitable act is kind of suspect. Like, what's the point of, of doing this? Why are they doing this? There's something distasteful about watching someone draw attention to their charitable acts. And, and, and yet, like we have this, this inside, we just kind of go, I just don't like that. Like, it just, this doesn't seem right. And, and, and yet we live in a society where social media has created space for people to um, film their generosity in order to gain fame and followers for themselves. And so if you're on social media, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you've probably seen those videos where, where people um, go to the, the homeless, the hungry, the, the helpless, and, and they help them. And, and that's really good. Um, but it's all caught on camera. It's all staged. It's all prepped and ready. And they, they know what's going on. And they, they set these scenarios and these situations up so that people will like them and they'll get a lot of good positive comments and they'll be able to do this, do this more. But, but really they're gaining fame and, and, and fortune and recognition for themselves in the midst of doing that. And so I, I don't think the text is saying that you can't encourage others to give by, by sharing that you also give. I don't think that's what Jesus is, is saying. Every so often, I share with you that communion talks or in messages that um, Andy and I give financially. Uh, we tithe to support the mission and ministry of, of real life. We, we do exactly what we, we ask you to do. We give to support this church. We believe in, in what real life is accomplishing, and we want to support it financially. But if your motive is likes and follows and respect or public applause, then your gift becomes suspect. 
And, and so um, Jesus says that the first step in defeating the money monster is, is to not seek attention. When you give, don't seek attention, especially from other people. Money has the ability to um, kind of shine a magnifying glass on our motives. And, and here's how it works. Um, if you're making a donation, if you're being generous and you're giving to somebody and they don't recognize your gift and you get angry because they don't recognize your gift, then, then you've you got to wonder if maybe your motive has just been exposed. If you, if you give not expecting to get anything, but because you, you care about the, the, um, whatever's going on, whatever you're giving to, you care about it, you love it, you love God, you're giving to the church, and you don't expect to get anything back, that's a totally different story. And so there's nothing wrong with receiving thanks for a gift that you, you give. We do that here at, at Real Life. When somebody gives for the first time, we try and send them a note and say, hey, thanks. Um, like we, we recognize that you've given. We appreciate that, that, that you've given. Um, we don't blow trumpets. We don't announce names. We don't do anything like that. We just send a little card and say, thank you. We want you to know that we know that you've given and we appreciate that. But the danger comes when we draw attention to ourselves from those who are not receiving our gift. That's in the, verse one of chapter six. D Jesus says that, that you're not supposed to perform your acts of righteousness to draw attention to yourself from the people around you. Um, and, and so here's kind of what's going on. That the giver that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter six is someone who is using their gift to the needy to gain attention and recognition from the prosperous. That's really what's happening. They're going out into public squares and into the synagogue where there's lots of people and they're blowing trumpets, they're causing a scene, they're getting everybody to look at them so that they can make their gift to the needy in front of other people who aren't needy so that their, uh, their position or their power rises in the midst of that group. And so the gift is not, help, is not given to help the needy person, but to bring honor to the person who's giving the gift. And, and Jesus says, that's just wrong. Jesus addresses how we're to combat greed in uh, giving in the next verse. Here's what he says. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. There's been a lot of conversation about this text right here. Um, and, and I just want to tell you that to drive his point home, Jesus uses hyperbole, hyperbole. He's, he's making this ridiculous statement in order to make a point, right? N nobody, nobody can keep their right hand from knowing what their left hand is, is doing. Um, I, I don't know, maybe lobotomy might do the trick. Uh, I don't know, but you can't not know. In fact, our, our hands don't really work independently of each other. They work in connection or in concert with each other. What one hand might be too weak to do, the other hand is able to help. And so we have this struggle and Jesus is, is going, look, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we're like, how in the world is that possible? How do we do that? How do we keep 
our hands from knowing what the other is doing. And so I don't believe Jesus is saying that we shouldn't keep track of our giving. And, and I know Christian people who say, who just don't do that. Well, I just give and I don't really keep track of it. I don't write it down. I, I, don't, uh, I don't remember it anyway. Um, it doesn't mean, I, I don't think it means that we shouldn't report that um, on our taxes as a deduction that you can take for giving to a charitable organization. And again, I know Christian people who refuse to report that on their taxes because they feel like they're giving to God and the government shouldn't have to know about that at all. It doesn't mean that we refuse to disclose how we spend our money even when we're trying to demonstrate financial accountability. I think what's going on in the text is that Jesus is simply expressing that our motive for giving should be generosity and not greed pretending to be generosity. And so if we're gonna defeat the money monster in our lives, we've, we've got to secondly, we've got to get used to anonymity. We've gotta be able to give without seeking attention and, and, and without having a big parade thrown in our honor or our name put up on the building. We've got to be able to give without complaining that we didn't get something in return. And so when we honestly examine our own hearts, we often are going to find that our motives are mixed when we give. There's a little bit of both of those things in there. Money can manipulate. Money can and will manipulate us into giving for what we can get instead of giving just because of what we get to give. If you go to John 3.16, you read one of the most popular, probably the most popular verse in all of the Bible. And it starts out this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is the one who's saying this to a guy named Nicodemus. And in the context of, of Jesus making this statement in the first century, there were still people who were giving their children to false gods they worshiped by ritually sacrificing them. As they would throw this child that they supposedly loved, they'd throw their child into fire, they'd throw them into the water, sometimes they'd even have them dismembered. But the point of all of these gruesome acts was to gain favor from the false god or the idol that you were worshiping. And so the idea is this, if I give something that I love to this idol or this false god, they will recognize my gift because this, I've given this big thing, this thing I love, they'll recognize my gift and then they'll bless me. They'll notice me, they'll pay attention to me. And so my crops will, will grow, uh, my spouse will be, will be fertile, we'll have lots of kids, my bank account will, in, will increase. Um, and, and so they were giving to these false gods and idols in a way to manipulate them so that they gave something back. That is not how God wants to be worshiped. In fact, we're told God gave first. God gave first. And so our giving is supposed to come out of gratitude for what God has already done, what he's already given us, and then trusting that he will continue to meet our needs as we as we move forward. So we're thanking God for what he's already given and we're trusting God for what he's going to give in the future. We don't give to manipulate God into giving like he was a false God. 
We give because God has already given to us and we expect that he will continue to give because he loves us. Look at the next verse, verse four. Uh, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That was a verse right before this. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And we're to give in secret so that God who sees what we do, even in secret, will reward us. This is the tough part. Do we trust God to give, to meet our needs? Or do we think that God must first be appeased by some gift in order to love us? So are we giving because we love God? Or are we giving because we want God to love us and bless us? So does our giving reflect our belief that all we have is ultimately God's? And so God, I'm just giving back a portion of what you've given to me. Are we treating our money like we're stewards of it, like we're taking care of it for God or on God's behalf? Or do we treat our money like we're the owners of it and and we're trying to keep it and make sure that we have enough? We've got to evaluate our motivations for giving and reorient our hearts towards justice. Our giving is not about us feeling good it's, or about putting band-aids on financial problems. It's not about appearing like good Christians. I give and so I'm a good Christian and God has to accept me. It's not about doing those things in front of other people to gain respect, to gain attention from God or from others. Our giving is a reflection of our belief in the goodness and the generosity of God on the front end. His heart for the vulnerable and our necessary participation, how we work with God, how we partner with God in seeking justice for our communities. And so if we want to defeat the money monster, we must trust God's arrangement. The way that he is organized, the way that we, the way that we give. We have to believe that God gives to us because he loves us, not because we have manipulated him into blessing us by our gifts or our service or our prayers or reading the Bible. Let's take a peek here at 2 Corinthians 9, 9 to 11. See what Paul has to say about this. Here's what he says. God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why, Paul says, so that you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul is just is saying this, look, there's this arrangement that God has where he gives and then he expects us to give in, because of what he's given and because we trust him to continue to give. And as God gives to us, we will be enriched so that we can generously give in every way. This is how God works. He freely distributes his gifts among the people so that we can give. God gives expecting us to be generous. He doesn't expect us to give what we don't have, okay? God never asks us to give things that we don't have. 
but to give what from what we do have, not to manipulate him into meeting our needs, but because he has already met our needs and we trust him to continue to meet our needs in the future. See, giving, as we've been saying, is not about us. It's not about what we give. It's about the condition of our heart. It's about our motive and our trust in God to meet our needs. If we're gonna defeat the money monster in our lives, we've got to give, gotta give as God instructs without worrying that we might not get credit for those things if, if we don't draw God's attention to our gift. We've gotta give because we trust God, not because we're trying to get something from Him, but because of what, he, what He's already given to us. We've got to ask the question, am I giving to God because I love Him, because I'm grateful for what He's done or given to me, or am I giving to try to get Him to love me and bless me and give me more? When we understand that God loves us, like period, end of sentence, there's nothing we can do to get more of God's love, to earn more of that, to get more of His attention, more of His blessing. Just by being, God loves you incredibly. Our giving is about trusting Him. It's not about manipulating Him. And when we begin to understand that, when we begin to really understand how much God loves us, how much He's given, then we'll begin to defeat the money monster and give with a heart full of generosity and not a heart full of greed. And that's the goal as we give, whether it's to church, to other nonprofits, to, to friends, to people we uh, don't even know who just look like they could use a hand. Give those things because God has given to us and he's called us to be a generous people. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for all that you give to us. Thanks for being a generous God, for reaching down, not just, not just to us, God, but sending your son to live and die in our place and show us an example of how to live and especially how to give. God, thank you for all that you have given to us, in, in, including um, this incredible building. Thank you for that, God. May it be used for your glory and your purpose. God, as we give to this place, to you, to those in need, would we give out of a heart of generosity and not a heart of greed? Would we give because you have given so much already? And in that, we'll look more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.